You can't get to heaven in a mini skirt podcast. The podcast where I got that right on the first record. Yay! Yay! You did. You know the name of our podcast. Congratulations. And Jessica, you want to tell people where they can find us on social media? Yeah, you can find us on TikTok and Instagram at Heaven in a Mini Skirt. And you can go to our website at Heaven in a Mini Skirt.com. On our website, you will see our new merch page. So if you do want to support the show, you can get some merch. We're also going to have a Patreon coming out soon within the next month to two months. It just really depends on how much time we have. But if you want to sign up for our Patreon, you would get one bonus episode per month. So stay tuned for information on that. Yeah. Awesome. Today, for those of you who have listened to our New Frontiers episode, we are going to be interviewing a former New Frontiers elder who was pushed out of the church. And David was the one we referred to his website on our episodes. If you haven't listened to the New Frontiers episode, feel free to go back to get some context about this church group that has definitely some features of a cult. It was a group that I was involved with. And when I was deconstructing, I found this website that talked about church abuse and it was connected to New Frontiers. And he is the author of this website. Yeah. So Sarah reached out to him kind of on a whim and she said like, oh, the website hasn't been updated since it was like 2011 or a long time. She's like, he'll never get back to me. And he got back to her really quickly and couldn't be nicer. We had actually a very interesting and fun conversation with him. What I love about David, David's still a Christian and we had just such a lovely, interesting deconstruction conversation because what we realize is like we have so much in common, despite what we all believe right now, we still have so much in common from our past beliefs and our experiences. David has really deconstructed and reconstructed mm-hmm. and he's found a place of faith and he still works within the church and he is much more open, much more inclusionary now than he would have been when he was working with New Frontiers. Yeah, But it's cool. We're going to talk about his journey and his experience with spiritual abuse within New Frontiers. Yes. And there are many stories like his. I don't remember if this is in the episode, but something that he did mention to us was that when he went through this, he realized that there were multiple people within the New Frontiers structure that had gone through something very similar. And after our New Frontiers episode, we had several people that were involved with that organization and went through spiritual abuse reach out and we appreciate all of you sharing your stories with us and we're sorry for what you went through and i hope that this episode will also give people hope that if you have experienced spiritual abuse there is a light at the end of the tunnel and then a quick trigger warning there is a brief discussion of suicidal ideation so just take care and it is brief and we get through that quickly and i think 
that's it. And I really hope you guys enjoy this interview. And we'll pop some hotline numbers in the show notes for Canadian and American mental health lines if someone is having suicidal ideation. Yes, perfect. And we'll also put David's website in the show notes as well if you want to read more on what he put on his website because there is more details on there than what we talk about in the interview. So thank you and see you later, you little flirts. We came across your website or Sarah came across your website actually. And maybe Sarah can kind of explain how she found it. I've actually saw your website a really long time ago, like years ago when I think when I had first left New Frontiers, but I came across it again for this episode when I was researching New Frontiers because I wanted to see experiences, not just of people that are part of the church currently, but for people that had maybe dealt with some of the same issues I had with power structures and New Frontiers and So I kind of just through Google and I think just random little message boards. So we found this website, the title is Spiritual Abuse Within New Frontiers. And I just wanted to ask you, at what moment did you decide that you wanted to make this website and what brought you to like that point of making the website? It's a big question. So we can Mm kind of wherever you want to start. Well, thanks for having me on the show. I think it was pretty soon. I mean, this is even further ago for me now. It's 20 years back, but I think it was pretty soon after this all went down and my way of processing it I thought you know I need to get this on the record somewhere and so I guess it was my first stab at some therapy was to write down a record I've still got all the files of emails and correspondence and stuff like that but that's kind of in a drawer that I it's not good to open but so I wrote down (laughs) that summary I think probably within I would say within a year the first time round, and then I as you've probably seen I came back to it in 2011 because there were some positive developments. So I felt it was only fair to kind of add a a little word about that at that point. Yeah. So what was the year that you first made the website? It must be 2004, 2005. I would say it was probably 2004. 20 years ago. Yeah. This is like predating Facebook and really centralized social media platforms. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as a result of the career change I had to go through in leaving all this, one of the things I did was teach myself HTML which is what you had to do back in the day, really very basically. Oh, just to, wow, so that yeah. was kind of part of that. <laughs> and uh, so, and I guess it would probably be in the six months following that I put it together. Yeah. And so your website kind of, it talks about obviously your experience, some questions answered. Are you able to start at kind of the beginning of the story where you're comfortable with starting? How did you grow up? Did, did you join New Frontiers later in life? Mm-hmm. And then yeah, yeah sure. who are you? What's your background? Yeah, a little who bit. are you? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so this could get really long, so jump in if you need to. So I grew up in a Christian family in an environment in the UK and a church environment known as the Open Brethren. So there are a whole load of different kinds of brethren. Ours is pretty open. So basically it was congregational, a little bit like Quakers in that we would have rather than a formalized liturgy, you would in the morning meeting you would sit around and anybody well any man that is who had something to pray or share from the scripture would give out a hymn or pray or read the bible and comment on it a little bit as the spirit led and then when somebody felt the time was right we would break bread and that was it and then in the evening we would have a very traditional sort of revival type gospel meeting that you might be familiar with hymns and a gospel preach and stuff like that so what i took away from that was well, on the one hand, yeah, I heard from another episode, Sarah, you're a Baptist, and that Baptists were extremely suspect. They were right off the radar because I remember my mum saying, well, they're not really Christians like we are. So there, there was oh, the... oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> on the one hand, there was this idea that, you know, that, that, that everywhere else was a bit suspect. But and it was and in some ways it was quite legalistic. But 
what I will say for it was that on the one hand, you definitely learned your Bible very well growing up in that environment. And so I did Sunday school and stuff like that. And you would be encouraged to read your Bible. You could say it was culty in the sense of it was a bit exclusive and we didn't relate socially to a lot of other people, but I never felt it was an oppressive environment. And one of the big things that would often be preached or mentioned is the Bereans, you know, in Acts, where it says that every time Paul preached, they would check to see whether what he said was in the scriptures. So there was this whole culture of kind of checking out what was said to measure it against the Bible. So that got us knowing our Bibles pretty well. Another thing I think is that in these morning meetings, which I went to like ever since I was a kid, I didn't go to all of them and I wouldn't go all the time. It did seem like there was something spiritual going on over and above just a bunch of random people making stuff up. And the other thing to say is, yeah, I think my parents were quite open-minded. My dad was a big thinker, had lots of uh, theological books. I remember on his bookshelf, sort of, there was a book on why speaking in tongues was wonderful, right next to a book on why speaking in tongues was of the devil. So that kind of gives you the, his breadth of thinking. So I think that I benefited from that kind of spirit of inquiry from being a kid, even though it was in quite a restrained environment. So when I got to be about six yeah. or seven, I was in a gospel meeting and the preacher said, well, you know, if you haven't invited the Lord Jesus into your life, you should do so. And so I did. And I was only a kid, but it was a reasoned decision, if you like. I felt he made an argument which made sense to me and I did something. But I went on like that. And then when I got to about 12, I had a friend who was getting baptized and he was 14. But I felt, well, if he's doing it, well, why shouldn't I be doing it? What prevents me from being baptized? And I was thinking, oh, I'm a Christian. I ought to get baptized. So after a bit of, I had to kind of had a bit of a fight with the eldership about whether I was old enough to do this, but I was quite keen on doing it. So I did. And it felt in my life that from that point on, God was like saying, well, now you're taking me seriously. I'll take you seriously. So from then on, I kind of worked through my faith a bit more, studied, encountered non-Christian thinking, made me think for myself about where my Christian faith was at. And well, it sort of still seemed to be coming out on top. And then long story short, I studied French at university, met my wife at university, my wife-to-be, who was also studying French. And we went out very much with a mission mindset to France and had charismatic experiences in various ways and then ended up joining a church planting mission here which wasn't particularly charismatic but we felt wasn't against that kind of stuff and so we moved to where we live now with the view of planting a new church out of an existing church after a while the charismatic stuff got all too much this was around toronto if you've gone into that kind of thing. Yes, toronto, the toronto, yeah you must be here. so that's yeah. right yeah so oh no we can, oh yes oh yes oh yes and i could talk a lot about that but barking well and i don't think ever, anybody ever, I, that, that's very what's the word uh, defamatory yeah, nobody barks in our church we got it we got into a lot of trouble for getting into this what was interesting was that it definitely didn't meet with the approval of the status quo where we were and so that led to some conflicts and so we ended up being a little on our own and it was at that point, so we're talking like 1990, it was just before that, actually, 1993, 1994, that we bumped into people from New Frontiers who are coming to our part of the world in France and looking to plant the church. And then with the result, after this kind of falling out that we had, the obvious place to connect up with was the New Frontiers group of churches. So that is how that story happened. So, but I think it's important to say that we had a church that existed before and we were kind of adopted into the New Frontiers movement. So I was never quite born and bred New Frontiers, if you like. And I think that probably was a contributing factor to what happened after that. And so the church plant you said was in France and how did you end up getting involved? Like, were you involved in the leadership right away or did that take time? No. Yeah. I was, when my wife and I came to where we're living now, it was with a specific, we were already part of a mission and the mission was saying, where do you want to go 
and for various reasons we picked the city where we are now it seems to make it seems to be a good fit for what our skill set was and what the church was looking for so if you don't mind me asking what was the group of churches with the original church bland that you it was a sort of neo brethren type that's the best way of putting it i think yeah i mean it's gone through several name changes since but neo brethren come baptisty type setup okay uh, yeah which was a lot of it was came out of the work of om operation mobilization in the 80s there's a guy called George Berber who's just died, actually. He had a big thing about evangelizing Europe, and these teenagers would go around in combi vans, VW vans, with literature <laughs> and stuff. And I, basically that in the six, in about the 70s, 80s, that led to a whole bunch of churches, but they would be non-charismatic, pretty conservative, very okay. with a strong evangelistic focus. And so and, I'm curious yeah. about, like you had mentioned growing up in the Brethren Church. I only attended one Brethren Church when I was with a friend when I was younger. And in her church, women had to cover their heads and women weren't able to talk either. And it was, I think, boys over 12 that would do the sermons. The church you're involved in now, what's their kind of view on women in, in leadership and ministry? Is it right. similar to New Frontiers or to the way you were raised? All right. Well, that's a big jump. Yeah, I've been all around this. So yeah, the answer today is that we would not make any, well, we wouldn't make any distinction in roles on the basis of sex or gender. So, but that's been a long journey to get there which has gone through several different jumps. And maybe one thing that we, I think maybe is interesting to touch on is I think for me, it all came down to power balance and power relations. And where I've got to in my journey is to see that a lot of, well, a huge amount of the stuff that's wrong, I think in a lot of church environments, basically comes down to patriarchy, which is in itself is all to do with power and is power of some people over other people. And obviously men over women in particular, or some men over all the women. <laughs> so yeah, there's obviously, a, there's a lot of debate in, Christian circles about that. Obviously, I have an auntie who is quite well known in evangelical charismatic circles. And I've not, you know, obviously, and she's, I've known her ever since I was a tiny kid. And again, my parents would never be against her ministry or anything like that, even when I was in a brethren, which was much as you described, Sarah. But I always felt that she was an interesting woman in ministry right back in the day because she wasn't, if I can put it this way, she wasn't well, aggressive, militant or defensive about it. She was just herself and it was a very good fit for who she was. Whereas I think sometimes, I mean, it's obviously, I'm a man saying this and I'm obviously coming from the position of privilege, but I think that what really impressed me about her looking back is that she didn't seem to make any excuses for being a woman or she just was and did what she did, what she was good at. And I think that came across much more naturally, I guess, is what I'm saying, which was good. Yeah. But yeah, that's where we're at today, but we've gone through a whole load of convolutions about that so and i'm very sorry for all i've put women through <laughs> at various stages <laughs> in my preaching career so. so then i'm sure we will talk about the patriarchy again but i really want to talk about your story and the reason that you made this website should we talk about what led up to you leaving new frontiers or did you leave or were you pushed out? Is yeah, that's a good question. I was, no, I did leave, but definitely because I was pushed. If people want to go look, I guess you can give a link to the whole story. What happened was that there came a point where the, the way the New Frontiers works is there was this apostolic oversight where you would kind of report back to somebody who I envisaged as being in a consultancy role. And before we got in with New Frontiers, there were other at that time from the 80s through to the 90s. There were a load of new churches around, particularly in the UK and near where we were. And they were kind of heavier or not in the sense that they were seemed to be more into spiritual authority and submission and all this kind of stuff. 
And one of the selling points for New Frontiers for us was that I remember having this conversation with one of the guys and he said, no, we're not like that. We're not so hierarchical. We're very relationship based as opposed to some of these other more hierarchical movements. So I think, oh, that's good. I can work with that. And I always felt the apostolic type people were like consultants coming in to help us. So in about 2003, we had a change in our consultant, as it were. They put on somebody else and I never managed to click with this new guy. And again, long story short, over a period of about nine months, a year, I felt as a leadership team in our church, which was a big church by that time, about 250 people on a Sunday morning, which was huge for our part of the world in evangelical circles. But I felt mm-hmm. we were not getting on with this new apostolic delegate that was coming to see us. And for, in my mind, it was very much a problem between our leadership and him. And the, the leaders I was working with seemed to be agreeing with me on that. And so I thought we had something to work out with him. Through a series of events, uh, and I kept working on that basis, we kept trying to have conversations to solve it. There were various things in the frontiers I was kind of getting unhappy about because this relationship wasn't working and there didn't seem to be good communication. And then it came to a head where he wrote and said, I'm coming over to organise, I can't remember what he called it, a leadership summit or something. And the agenda, and he wanted this meeting to take place in one of the other elders' homes. And he said, at this meeting, we're going to be asking the question, who is best placed to lead this church? Well, I thought that doesn't sound good. And he's choosing the territory and everything. And I said to my team, look, this guy, if we're not careful, he's going to divide us as leadership. He's going to split the church. We need to be of one mind on this. Are you agreed that I write back, say, thank you very much. So that who's leading the church is not up for debate. So we're all happy with the way things are. So, well. Uh, yeah, how can we put this politely? Please go and do something else in the meantime. (laughs) So anyway, I wrote, so I sent off, this was email had arrived by this time. So I sent off this email and I genuinely believed I had the agreement of the other, there were two other guys in particular on the team at that time. And I generally felt I had their agreement on that. And within hours, they had written a competing email saying, when we agreed with David about what was said about to you, we didn't actually mean it. And so I thought, well, what does that mean? So I went straight around oh, to one no. of the guys. And this is where oh, my the, there's the, ex- the expression of the ground fell from beneath my feet. I never used to know what that meant, but I physically felt like that, where suddenly I realized they were on his side and this was all part of a plan to get rid of me. And it, it emerged in the, over the next coming days that they had been discussing this with the apostolic delegate behind my back for nine months so and then no, within again well. within and this was all amid sort of various accusations that I was being was suffering from this sort of demonic Jezebelic spirit affliction and stuff this all kind uh, of came up but we'll get back about that. yeah I'll get we're gonna I mean, come back yeah. to that yeah okay but so, <laughs> the Jezebel so, spirit well, so within a matter of days of this happening the other two guys had gone before the church mm-hmm. saying New Frontiers has withdrawn itself from David. Uh, He is no longer the pastor. Either he leaves or we do. So they basically stood up in front of a completely bemused church and said, we're splitting, or there is a split happening, choose your camp. So that was a church division, right? It was terribly badly handled. If if you would assume that they had a real disagreement with me, that just was not the way to deal with it by any... Yeah, that's super inappropriate. (laughs) That was just so damaging to everything. So... Again, long story short, we kind of struggled on for a while. The whole leadership stepped down while this kind of second tier team tried to take over. But it it was just horrible. And we still have a sort of democratic structure in place as well. We never got rid of that. So there was a kind of nuclear break glass box option in which the pastor's ministry could be confirmed by a vote of the congregation. And so I wanted that to happen just to say, look, we've got a crisis. Let's use this to see whether if you don't want me, I'm happy to go. But let's have the flock have a say, because to my mind, I was accountable to the people. 
And basically they yeah. pulled out all this spiritual blah, blah to say, no, that's not this. It's not holy to vote. And we need to go and pray and fast and all this kind of stuff. So when it got to that point and I saw that we, there was no, the congregation were not going to have a say, I quit. Um, but then after that, yeah, things went downhill very rapidly for them. But that's how it all went down pretty much. Oh my gosh. that sounds. And we've crazy. talked about this before, how the democratic process in some churches works well because it it keeps the power from not being so top down because mm. it like it sounds like what you dealt with regardless of how the congregants were feeling like they were put in this really hard spot and there well, was no realized, accountability right yeah like, what i realized was that there was a way of i mean i was the pastor because i was getting some financial support and stuff but what i realized was there was we had a constitutional way of firing the pastor but there was no constitutional way of firing the elders <laughs> so right. so i was and like you say i think one of the things where to come back to what you were saying, I think the New Frontiers ethos was definitely that the leadership, a good New Frontiers leader in New Frontiers eyes would feel accountable upwards. They would feel accountable to their apostolic delegate, whereas I've always felt accountable to a congregation. So I would say my accountability was towards the people that you're supposed to be serving. So when it came down to looking at that structurally, they obviously they were going to, the apostolic delegate that said, you must do this. So they did what he said. And it was very definitely, they were manipulated by people from higher up the chain for sure that must have been devastating to go through that yeah well it was uh, my entire my my whole life at that point sort of we had teenage kids it was obviously horrible for them they lost all their friends overnight oh my gosh didn't even think of that part yeah yeah none of that's something that's permanently changed all of them in different ways yeah permanently changed us i was what 40 at the time so i by quitting i didn't have any unemployment or anything like that there was no the way that the thing was set up so i turned up at the unemployment agency 40 year old i'm an ex-pastor what have you got for me kind of things they looked at me a bit <laughs> strangely so i obviously had a well i had a mortgage to pay and stuff like that so it was i think it's extra devastating we were talking earlier and i was saying that i'm finding parallels between your story and then things that happen in just mm. regular workplaces because this is a workplace but on top of it being a workplace this is your entire community so that's where the devastation really just it's amplified in this situation when cool. there's spiritual abuse because when you go to a work, it's your job. And then you have your separate life outside of work usually. And so if something really bad happens at work, at least you have something to fall back on, but it sounds like you didn't have much to fall back on. So the ground truly was ripped out beneath you. And it impacted your family and your kids and your wife. And did you maintain any relationships with people from that church? So what happened was that, well, (laughs) when I was pretty much suicidal around that time. I'm sorry. And uh, yeah, I I remembered actually looking, checking out for this stuff that it was easier once I knew what was going on. But when I didn't know what was going on, there was a point where I was driving back from a conference and I seriously thought about driving the car into a tree so that was <laughs> not good in some ways it was better once I knew what was going on because at least that explained all these weird this weird stuff but when I left I left and I didn't want anything to do with God church anything that was pretty much how I was feeling like on the day but the right the next Sunday I just did like two or three people turned up at our house and said well you're a pastor we want you to do stuff so I thought well I can't abandon these people either so I again this is condensing a few months into a couple of minutes but I basically said well look I can't do much except explain what I think about the bible to you or with you but if you find us a place to meet we'll carry on so what happened was that over time because the the church which I had left was just not viable at all because they very quickly all kinds of other ambitions came to the fore and people were tearing each other's eyes out and stuff like that so it very quickly split like about three different ways after that so so we kind of picked up a few remnants and we and even like for years even even within the last well year we've picked up some people that we hadn't seen since that time because they finally worked out what had been going on or had, had suffered the same thing in other groups 
So immediately, some people did come to us, not necessarily the people you've expected to be supportive of us. We had, obviously, we did have relationships outside of that church. So that was good. And again, that, that broke down different ways, depending on who it was. And with the years going by, as I say on the website, there were some people who, some uh, the couple of people who were really directly involved who did come and apologize. So that brought some measure of reconciliation. I would say it was a long way off. Mm -hmm. Yeah, today there is still a New Frontiers church in the city where we are, and we would have cordial relationships with that church, if you like. It is nice that at least some people came and I don't know if they apologized or just took responsibility or both, but it is mm, nice. A, well, that's an interesting distinction, but I, I think you'd have to you'd have to look in their hearts to see which of those it was taking responsibility or just apologizing. But I think what has to be said is that one of the kind of representatives further up the chain in New Frontiers apologized, but I asked him, is this an apology on your behalf, on behalf of New Frontiers? And he was clear that it was on his behalf and not New Frontiers. And yeah. I never, ever got an apology from New Frontiers as an organization, well, from Terry Virgo, basically, because he was the organization at that point, or he was at the top of it. Yeah, that's interesting. We've talked a lot about Terry Virgo, so we don't have to, we can totally yeah, get we into don't that need if you want to. But <laughs> not, no. He's an um, old man now. And so when you were working at the church, this is before Terry Virgo left. You retired. In 2011. And 2011. And then that's when the other apostles came in. He appointed how the actual. They There's like 18 leadership. of them that oversee churches in different mm. networks. Like they have sub networks now of churches. I, I was I, curious yeah. about to get into the Jezebel spirit. Mark Driscoll yeah. is actually doing a sermon series on the Jezebel spirit right now. <laughs> and Are you serious? Are you watching it? I've watched some of it. I get really angry. So he just talking about everything wrong with the culture comes down to men acting like Ahab and women acting like Jezebel, but even men can be a Jezebel. So do you want to get in and maybe describe to listeners a little bit? What is a Jezebel spirit? Well, it's very simple. I mean, if you know Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Uh, unfortunately, it's a little after our time. I hate or oh, before boy, our time. Yeah. I know. There's a whole <laughs> bit where they, they, they do a trial of a witch, basically. Well, the end result is catch 22. It's you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Which is true in a lot of other cases. And in, in other situations, it's like, how do you, if you're in a secure, sorry, this is a complete tangent, but if you're in a secure mental facility, how do you prove you're not psychotic? It's very hard because whatever you do is, ah, well, he or she is very smart. So they're pretending not to be like, I mean, you know, you can go and yeah. find stuff on that. So, right. so Jezebel is yeah. like that. Jezebel spirit is really, I think it was just a trendy thing, which a pseudo spiritual thing, which the accusations, which I mean, I think an actual fact as well, those accusations were targeting my wife. They weren't targeting me, but that was never said, which has been all the more damaging for her because she was never confronted directly and that is yeah that's at least i've had a chance to kind of speak out because i was named but she never had on that and i think that has been very difficult for her but what it came down well it came down to anything you like controlling whatever that means and which generally the people who accuse you of a spiritual control are the ones who've got a controlling spirit in my feel i can put it like that you're trying to have a personality not just me and i think there are men who feel very threatened by smart women so that, that would do jezebel would come and stick along with that quite quickly the interesting thing about Jezebel in the Bible is she she does this pseudo-religious behavior and trumps up false prayer and fasting in order to grab the property that belonged to Naboth, which is pretty much what New Frontiers did to us, actually. They had this pseudo-spiritual accusation in order to get hold of what they thought was a great church, which, of course, then fell apart in their hands. So I think that you can see a dynamic there, but really for them, it was just an excuse to say, you know, this is some vague thing and whatever David does, we can accuse him of this. So what which particular 
spirit in the pantheon of spirits applies i think doesn't matter much it's just kind of some vague spiritual thing which i had a deceiving spirit yeah well let's yeah so what is it all kind of the same thing like demonic jezebel and well i think are these all i think there are some people there are some ministers teachers preachers whatever you want to call them who i think really do have quite an advanced demonology and would kind of they would seek to identify specific behaviors with specific demons, if you like. There are some amazing books out there. Um, oh, he, is he, he came to set the captives free. You'll have to go looking for that one. It used to get sold under the counter at our bookshop here. And she gives you various ways like, yeah, you have to eat meat before tackling spirits. So that's why Elijah was fed by ravens before going to the mountain. And uh, there's a chapter on victory through hissing and victory through something. Anyway, uh, victory through hissing. Oh, I yeah, thought yeah, that yeah. Jesus was the magic word. If you said Jesus, then oh, you're no, there are, Well, anyway, there's this whole, you know, t- <laughs> of demonology oh my gosh we gotta look into this but i would guess that for a lot of these people it was just a useful hook to hang things on and they didn't really believe it so okay you so you do think that they knowingly were using the power structures to manipulate and they weren't doing this with like a pure motive i think some of the people probably bought the jezebelic line but others i think knew exactly what they were doing well it's difficult to know who could have confronted them they would have acknowledged it yeah, I mean, there's probably someone who was making it up and then the rest of them were following, thinking mm. that it was the right thing. That could have been a definite possibility. And I think Absolutely. it's like any organization where there's power without accountability. I think you're going to see this repeated again and again, whether it's New Frontiers or like any organization that's structured in that way. Yeah, I mean, we are obviously talking about New Frontiers because that's what we have the experience with. But this is something that happens, well, in many church structures in And outside the church earlier, before we started recording, I was talking about some toxic workplaces that I've experienced and it's the same thing, but you know, sometimes there is an HR department in the workplace that might be able to help you. If you look into say, what is it? NFTs and Bitcoin and stuff like that. They have their own. I think there's the functioning is exactly the same. And there are, I can't remember the slang, but you know, they have slang for people who are unbelievers and who draw, I can't remember what it's called, but it's exactly the same pattern. I think what makes it more serious in the church, well, two things. One is that you've, well, you're putting God in there somewhere. So you're basically assigning divine power to whatever you're accusing somebody of. And the other thing is that New Frontiers in particular, they set the bar very high. They were saying we are a restored church trying to set examples to other churches. So that made it all the more serious that they weren't doing what it said on the tin, if you like. That was why I felt it was important to, to say something, because they were definitely, as I say, placing the bar very high in terms of what they claimed to be within the church as a whole kind of that that view of we have the thing or like we are somehow more like the early church we are more representative than other denominations like i remember really people saying that very clearly when i was part of the new frontiers church i was part of other churches that felt that way about when i was growing up baptist it was always like oh the catholics right i think that's a very normal thing to kind of other groups of people i think i think one of the particular things with new frontiers is that they did believe in a restored church which was like better than all the others if you like but and i think the two things which i felt mistakes i'd made were that i confused the church universal which in other words the entire body of believers or whatever wherever they are which is kind of an abstract theological concept with the local church so a capital c and lowercase yeah so that yeah we were it if you like but also that there was a big emphasis on the restored part. And there's this verse in the Bible about the church being like the spotless bride without spot or wrinkle and stuff like that, which made people or got deluded church members. And I think church leaders in particular thinking that they were perfect. And if you think you're perfect, then you don't need any safeguards, do you? So if you've got a hotline to God, then 
and you don't have any sin, then mm-hmm. it's very difficult to say to somebody that they're wrong. I remember and, that theology that you could be without sin at a certain point. Well, there was a kind of one of the moments sort of, there was a leadership conference in Brighton. I'm just going to, let me just find this. This song is called, I Have Seen a Mystery. And the chorus is, this mystery is, it is the church, the hope of all the world. And here I fix my heart and hand. I cannot turn away. It is the church, the passion of God's son, the goal of history come. You'll see we've nearly reached the day. So, and then this moment when people were singing this thing, it is the church, the hope of all the world. So I thought, well, we're singing a worship song here, but who are we singing this worship song to? Well, we're singing it about the church, not about God or Jesus. And who is the church? Well, it's all these people who are here. So, so actually, you're sort of singing a worship song to yourself. And I think that that kind of... Um, so it's almost like the church became an idol for Well, I people. think, yes, that's a fair, that's a fair analysis, I think. But, but to say that the church was, we talk about over-realized eschatology, you know, it's when you have too much of the church triumphant in your theology. It's, I mean, Bethel's into that in a huge way, that you see the triumphant church and you don't see that people are still flesh and blood and fallible and need safeguards and stuff like that. Mm. I think yeah. that was a big, a big learning point for me. There's something that's kind of along these lines that was on your website and I'm going to read it. And I was just wondering if you could expand on that. So there was a section that says no past, no future. We were constantly being told we were on the verge of a major breakthrough. This kept us investing in every way in the movement after 10 years and no major breakthrough. It was tiring to keep on hearing this. Meanwhile, the past was rewritten as necessary. Leaders who fell out of favor were unpeopled, not to be mentioned. Life was lived on the uneasy edge between these two perspectives. I found that really insightful. Can you kind of tell us why put this on the website? This was, I found it a little different than everything else. This almost reminded me of a cult. That's a very Mm. like telltale sign of a cult. Like we're almost there. We're almost Mm. at the breakthrough. Mm. We're going to change the world. This is something that you kind of felt when you left that, oh, that's felt like a cult. I think, yeah, I think it's more helpful. Well, I find it more helpful to talk in terms of cultish aspects of things. And I think that would be a cultish aspect, which wouldn't be exclusive. I think it's not exclusive to New Frontiers. It's not no. exclusive. And I don't think it's exclusive <laughs> to it's not exclusive to churches either. And I think the way that workplaces have changed over the past 20 years, the way that you're encouraged to devote your entire life to the workplace, eat, sleep, everything. I mean, it, it reminds me a lot of what I saw in New Frontiers, you know, what mm-hmm. it is this huge because mm-hmm. you end up with an emotional investment and your whole life does start revolving around it. So it's that much harder to leave and stuff. But again, it is more serious if you're doing it in the name of supernatural values, obviously. So Somebody said, you've got to have a short memory to be a restorationist or a revivalist. But some people, I think it's one person's cult is another person's normal church in the sense that some people kind of kind of live with it. And because they're a bit more cynical to start with, they, they wouldn't bother about it. It just wouldn't get them in the field so much as it would me. And I think there's a certain personality type that will commit very readily and wholeheartedly. And of course, that will do you huge damage because you're you're buying into this in a big way. And you think this is all it's all exactly what it says it is. And I know I would put my hand up to that. I've preached sermons where I said we're almost there and this kind of stuff. And you build up an expectation. And then, but as a pastor, if you're in the sort of sense of caring for souls and feeling you're supposed to be giving it, you're accountable to them and for them, well, you can't carry on doing that to people. Well, my question too is like, what breakthrough were you on the verge of? Like mm. what, what was explained to you and what did you explain to the congregants and what are they taught? What do you we were about? on the verge of a breakthrough in Canada too. Very... You're still in a, maybe you still <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah, God our... had a vision for church planting all around. Yeah. yeah I like, think what it was is ma- this breakthrough? Well, I think it would be the easiest way to put it would be revival in the sense of what, and that, and there were some quite tight definitions of that. So not a revival in the, 
the US sense of we're going to have a revival means we have, I mean, like this meeting, though, these meetings that were in Kentucky a little while back. Oh, the Ashbury Revival. Yeah, but, but, yeah, but yeah. I mean, that, that it wouldn't be, I mean, it's clearly orchestrated in the sense that they said we're going to have this from this date to this date and that's it. But there, you can look back in history and see times where, well, certainly by the accounts we have, that there were mass conversions or recommitments or people who were not particularly in a faith lifestyle that suddenly became it, that there was social change as a result, that it was this something that was going to be hugely impacting society. So I think the expectation was, I would put it like that. Okay. Okay. Do you have a, cause I have a question, Sarah, did you want to expand on that at all or? Well, I was going to say like in Canada, I think a lot of the times when they were saying we're on the verge of a breakthrough it had to do with like the amount of people that we are getting the amount of people that would be saved and baptized and the amount of people that would be baptized in the holy spirit and so it was more like a numbers thing and i mean i feel like it didn't feel like there was a financial aspect to it it was more just people genuinely wanting to see people come to christ i think like there were a ton of very genuine people in the group that i was a part of but i also I was there for how many, like under 10 years, like maybe five years that I was associated with that church. And there were two pastors that the the similar thing happened. Almost exactly the same story as you went through, David, down to a T, some sort of disagreement and then the higher up the structure and then everyone Mm -hmm. turning and that person not being fired, but basically like an ultimatum, like either Mm. you submit to this thing or... I think I found about 10 people in 10 different countries that I figured that had happened to. I didn't talk to them all, but uh, I talked to Mm. enough of them to think, yeah, this is a pattern. You do talk about that on your website as well, that you're not the only one. And that's where this starts to become really alarming because it's not a problem with you. This wasn't Mm. just you. It's You did something that... The Jezebelic spirit. Yeah, it was the Jezebelic spirit. <laughs> Moving on, I just wondered, so after you left, you said that just kind of like the day after you, you were like, you want nothing to do with God, want nothing to do with the church. That was very brief. And did you, do you ever consider yourself deconstructed? I know that you, so you still do have faith. You are still a Christian. How does your faith look different now? Is it <laughs> similar to what it was before New Frontiers? Yeah, I definitely, I was very conscious that I was doing some deconstruction and I felt that I had to do some deconstruction, a whole load of things that I kind of assumed about the work of the Holy Spirit and stuff like that, that, or certainly in recent years at that time, I had to think about and deconstruct, but I did find myself reconstructing. And I think there were kind of two parts to that, well, more than lots of parts to that. I think one part, and I'm sorry if this sounds cheesy, but I just (laughs) couldn't and can't get away from this sense of the risen Christ which is a whole different ballgame to the church, if you like. As the, when I was preparing this, I was thinking that sometimes I think the church is the greatest misunderstanding in Christianity. But You're um, probably right. <laughs> but uh, I thought that there was, there's just something about the sense of, this, this sounds really cheesy and I'm not sure it gets what I feel across accurately, but I can't get away from this notion Christ is risen. Okay, that's one side of things. And I think that where things are, where things have been consistent with me is like, even as I was saying, back in my teenage years, I was reading up Sartre and Camus and all the existentialist philosophers and through through university as well, because I studied French literature. And so I, I've had the whole kind of intellectual, rational side to my Christianity, if you like. And I've never come to a point where I have felt that Christianity made less sense than some of the other stuff. And also looking at where other systems ended people up. So there's been those kind of two halves to it. I think what has changed is the way that I've re-examined the Bible, which I kind of think is something I've done all through my life. But I've seen a whole new prospects or ways of looking at the Bible and understanding the Bible, which I hadn't seen before. And 
well, that's just a constant rediscovery. Of course, being able to do that has meant some shifting in how I've understood my whole approach to the Bible. But at the same time, I find there's been a consistency in that. And one thing I find very sad is that I think a lot of people who became Christians in a kind of modern, contemporary, evangelical setting have what I would describe as a very flat reading of the Bible. I think fundamentalist is probably not the right word, but they take the Bible like it's the news, you know, and they miss out on a whole lot of the depth and genre and stuff like that, which is a shame, I think, because I think there's a lot more to it than that if you just chuck it out the window. Maybe this is illustrative and what might lead on to some other things is before all this happened in New Frontiers, we were looking at appointing another elder and stuff like that. And I was going through the Bible because that's what I was taught to do growing up. And I was looking for all the places where it said about elders in the Bible. And I was fully expecting to see where it said elders over the flock. Okay. And everywhere I went, it didn't say over, it said among. And so that was kind of a slap in the face for me because I thought, wait a minute, so why are we always talking about never, I never, ever, even during New Frontiers, I was never into this discipling and all that kind of stuff. Not in the way that you certainly, and I've heard you talk about it in other places, but I was never into that verticality like that. But when I saw, wow, even these verses that we think we're quoting, we're not actually quoting what it says. Or taking it out of context. Well, it wasn't just the, no, it was not, it's not out of context. It's the actual word. Oh, the actual word. Yes. (laughs) People will be talking about being over you in the Lord and it just isn't there. Or certainly as far as leaders go, it was, there's one place I think maybe, but everywhere it's among. And that was such a kind of epiphany for me. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, what else are we saying? And so to get back to your question, the big change for me was I looked at the Bible more as descriptive than as prescriptive, if you like. I see it much more as a narrative of what's going on and especially the new testament is much more about i believe that something genuine happened the resurrection happened i believe that god sent his holy spirit whatever that means but i think what it means to me is that those early believers had a supernatural experience which they couldn't get to grips with and what you have in the new testament in acts particular is hey well what's going on here and trying to come to grips with it so it's not a blueprint and to me it makes a whole lot more sense like that and i could say a whole lot of stuff about interpretation and stuff which yeah opens up all kinds of paths so that's where i've got to in my reconstruction on the one hand it's the same and i find links with how i was right 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 back at the start in some ways i think i've been consistent in other ways yeah there have been some big gear changes and all that i know that with the whole deconstruction reconstruction obviously that's going to impact the way that you are interacting with your congregation with your family i know we've talked a little bit about patriarchy but if you're comfortable sharing what was that journey like because you've been with your wife all of this time mm-hmm. and did you have a structure where it was like i'm the head and this joyful female submission <laughs> as quoted directly from the new frontiers website you're talking like, how has that evolution been for you yeah you're, you're talking to the wrong person i think there was a bit of a kind of rehearsal of all this at one point before all this went down and i may have got this mixed up in my memory but i came to the point where i thought wait a minute this is driving a wedge between me and my wife. And I thought, I'm not married to the church. I'm married to my wife. And there's a reason for that. And so I kind of resolved at that point that if there ever came anything back like this, that my commitment would be to my wife and not to the church because I was not married to the church. And I think that saved our marriage. I think that Mm -hmm. saved my life. And I think that got us to where we are today. It's a very wonderful outlook. I really like that. I think that's Everyone... true partnership and commitment. Well, right? I think my, my wife is a very strong person. And I think there was a time in our relationship where I would have been a bit tempted to get into all this sort of headship stuff and stuff like that. And she was courageous enough to be assertive. She put a marker down and it was like, shit, what am I doing? And that really sort of challenged me and what might what have been happening. So the way I feel now is that I feel terrible that she 
did not have a role, an equal role that she could have had at the time. But there were kids and stuff like that. And I'm not sure. We, I guess we still organise ourselves fairly traditionally, if you like, in terms of who does what, even though we're old enough. But I think it was that I really regret that she did not have a more equal role that was recognised at that time. But having been out of it for 20 years, one of the things that is my great joy now is that she is completely recognised in her own right in a lot of areas of ministry, obviously in different places, and is more recognised, I would say, than I am. And I think that is entirely as it should be, because I think she's... No, I say that completely, honestly. She fully deserves that. I think it's a loss for New Frontiers that they don't allow women to be in positions of eldership. I think that they're losing half the gifts, half the... I know that they allow them to do a lot of things, but I think it's a major loss, and I think it's really damaging for Mm. a lot of people. Mm. I don't think it's better for men either. Sure. No, you're right. I think that it's... Well, the way I would address that whole thing now is that I think that that is kind of stuff where I think there's a lot of stuff taken out of context in the scripture, and there are a lot of other different ways of looking at it and contextualizing it. And just well, today is not the world that it was on all kinds of issues as it was back then and i and one of the big understandings and i think it's possible to reinterpret scripture in the light of social development if you like and you can see that right back in the pentateuch even you can go back to the pentateuch and see god change his mind about how if you go and look at uh Zulofahad's daughters so that's really interesting right in the pentateuch you've got a new social situation coming up which they hadn't been thought of in the law, if you're right. The women come along and say, hey, guys, we're not being dealt with. And it's like, God says, okay, then we'll do this change. So even in the Pentateuch, you've got the law coming, being handed down by God, which is being reinterpreted to apply to a new situation. I think well, if that can happen in the Pentateuch, before you've even got to the New Testament and being reinterpreted in for non-Jews and stuff like that. And do you want to say what the Pentateuch is? Yeah, what is that? Yeah, it's the first five books of the Bible, so traditionally referred to as the books Uh of Moses. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So the books of the law. So that would be the most valuable part of the Jewish canon, if you like. But the point is, that's, that is what traditionally the church would say was given to Moses by God. So it's pretty, pretty heavy stuff. But it was a big moment for me when I discovered reinterpretation within the first five books of the Bible, even. It's interesting that some people go their whole lives without even doing a fraction of what you've done in your I guess I can call it a reconstruction. You're evolving your beliefs and it's just really inspiring to hear that and that things have worked out. I think a lot of things that I come across on social media are the people with the flat understanding of the Bible. And that's been really hard. So part of this podcast has been really nice to talk to people that that aren't like that. So it helps me and my perspective on Christians mm. a lot. <laughs> well, I remember way before any of this happened, I met a pastor who was, I was like probably 21 at the time or 22 he was 34 and he said i know what i believe and i'm never going to change it now and i was thinking what that's not another cheesy thing to say at this point but i think the journey is well as important as the destination jesus is the way right okay so that means you really you're you're on a journey and for me the if i look at the bible now i think the bible is a whole story of people well it's it's people reinterpreting all the time or another little phrase I've, i got from a website i used to be involved with was the bible is a record of people arguing about what god is like this argument continues today we call it the church and yeah. I, think that, I think that, that i like a, that yeah i think that's brilliant and i think that yeah. and it's quite a reformed church so that's so lutheran reformed theology is so the traditional protestantism in france and they're quite big on the idea that the word of god emerges from discussion around the text and I really like that idea that I think that it's in the Jewish tradition. There's always the discussions and what the rabbis thought about it and so on. And I think that's a big part of what Christianity should be is, is people having conversations. 
I would want to look at what the text actually says, not what, you know, some commentator says it says. And then that's the way we do Bible study in our church. Now, we take it in turns to lead the Bible study. And the brief for people leading a Bible study is they have to prepare open questions. And we don't know what the answers are. We don't go into it with the idea, this is what the answers are. And then we right. just see what comes out of the text. And it's really interesting. And, you know, I, I'm reading the Bible, like I've been reading the Bible for 55 years or something now. And I'm still thinking, hey, I never saw that before. And I think that emphasis yeah. on discussion and the ability to change your mind and evolve and progress, I think that's so important because that gives a space for your congregants and the people that you're interacting with in the church to be able to have their own opinions and their yeah. own experiences. And it's not so prescriptive. No, that's mm -hmm. definitely where I am today. Well, the I would, <laughs> I'm proof texting this as I go along, so I, don't, I hope that's not shooting myself in the foot. But there's a, in Jeremiah, God gives a promise about the new covenant in which he says that he will write his law in people's hearts and that no man or woman will have to teach another. So to me, that says that the whole promise of the new covenant is God's indwelling spirit. So I'm charismatic still in the sense, not in the sense of necessarily barking like dogs or speaking tongues <laughs> or whatever, but in the sense of I believe that, that, that God's indwelling spirit is, if, if we don't have that, then the rest of it is pointless, basically. So, but I believe that every believer has that, which is kind of a bit mm. like what Quakers would have said back in the day. I need to trust God that other people have his spirit as well. And so they have got mm -hmm. just as much a right to their take as me. Now, of course, then you factor in experience and background and stuff like that and try to listen to each other. But that is the key to the way I see now. My pastoral role is all about empowering people. It's about saying to people, hey, God has given you what it takes if you apply yourself to find your way. My, my whole thought is that anybody who leaves our church for whatever reason, whether it's just a professional move or whatever, that they've got their own toolbox. They're not dependent on the organization or whatever. And I don't feel that they've left. So they're like betraying or... you. Or... Yeah, sure. This is, this is a very refreshing conversation. So. Good. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And sometimes it's a lot of emotional labor. Like I'm sure you can relate that you talked about everything being in that drawer, like mm. reopening things. Like mm. for me, it was a lot to go back through like conversations and messages and things related to my experience with New Frontiers. Yeah. But I also want to acknowledge that like this for me and for you, this happened quite a long time ago yeah i think i mean that, that's i think that's it's important to say that because i've changed and and i think christianity is about or conversion is a continuous thing you're I mean, catholics would say that you're constantly converting yourself which i think that it's an ongoing transformation and i have to have it in my mind somewhere that those people who did all that stuff they are they're allowed to change as well and if they come back and have changed i need to find it in myself to be able to that was the work i had to do on myself is that is that in fact, I'm not into God speaking in a big way, but at one point, like a while back, probably 18 months after this, I did actually pray once and sort of say, like, well, God, why aren't they repenting? And it was like, well, what I heard, well, heard, however you want to put that, what, the words that came into my head straight back was because you're not ready yet. And I thought, ouch. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the reasons I believe in God is I think, well, stuff like that's so out of left field that I could have said that to myself. So because it wasn't something I was happy to hear. But that made me feel that I had a process to go through. I did a lot of work after that on getting myself to a place that if those people were to change and come back and talk to me, that I would have it in my heart to welcome them. And as I said, that did happen. And I was glad that it didn't happen any sooner because it took me that time to, to get there. There are other people I'm still waiting, but then that's uh, well, the way it goes. You might be waiting for a while. We'll and, see. Well, there's an interesting... This is said by a guy from a New Frontiers church, actually. I've stayed friends with him. He's gone through a bit of a journey as well. But he drew my attention to a verse in Philippians where Paul... He's talking about false teachers and apostles and stuff like that and says, don't get into any of their crap. It's all awful. And whatever you do, that have anything to do with them. And then he says, but in all this, the gospel is preached. And for this, I rejoice. And I thought that's such an amazingly ironic position to take. You know, he's, he's not hiding anything. He's saying, I think they're wrong because this and this. And yet he has a generosity of spirit to say, well, if somebody 
finds the Lord, as I will put it. If somebody is able to go on their spiritual journey because of what they're doing, despite of all the crap that they're doing, well, I'm not going to complain about that. And that's been a big formative verse for me that I've got. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure there's stuff which is crap in our church and plenty of my uh, people in the congregation would say that because we're not perfect. And so it's the same. Okay, there, there are things wrong with these churches. There are, there are structural problems in all kinds of stuff. We've talked about one particular church movement. Of course, there are doctrines which can make things worse. But nevertheless, as a Christian, I don't want to get into the no true Scotsman argument where I think, oh, wait, they're not really Christians. You've got to accept that they, they have a Jezebel spirit. Well, probably. But I mean, I always think, well, it's a, it's a joke that you, if you get to heaven and there is a heaven and you meet people that are, you're going to have to get on with them there. So you might as well start getting on with them now. And, yeah. But that doesn't mean that you don't put in the safeguards to make sure that they're not toxic with you. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think there's always that tension there, right? Because we're not going to agree with every single group. How do we still see the good and acknowledge that it's not black and white. There's an article that I'm going to share in the show notes for the New Frontiers episode that we had done already. And it was from the UK and it was a pretty liberal organization saying, here are all these really right-wing New Frontiers Christians that are, they're very socially conservative, but they're doing a lot of social action. And like, we don't usually run into this. And like, how do you deal with collaborating with them, helping people that are unhoused when like on the other end, they're against gay people. So it was like, how do you deal with that tension? Well, in the world of social action, you have to get into or coalitions. What is it called? Co-belligerence. Yeah, co-belligerence. So you, you have to know how to work with NGOs that have your interests will align on certain things and not on others. And that's the kind of environments I'm involved in today. There's a lot of that where you'll be completely disagreement on some things. I work in in different environments with other people of other faiths and none, but we have shared objectives and we put aside our differences to work on those things. And that doesn't mean that we can't disagree on the other stuff. I think that what you're saying is something that perhaps a lot of people that are more isolated environments, they don't deal with that. And I think that can be really hard for people to understand that you don't have to agree on everything. Like the three of us are talking right now. We clearly don't agree on our faith. But we're having a conversation. We pretty much agree on everything else. And yeah. we can have a conversation and a friendship without believing in the same things. And that is something that Sarah and I definitely are really, we're a huge advocate for. Because there's so much emotion when you feel hurt and angry, you have your guard up. I found myself this week, even I had ran into someone who was wearing a God shirt. And I felt immediately it just said like, God on it. It like, just said just God, shirt, just, God. just God. And I felt immediately very anxious because I get this weird visceral response sometimes. And I immediately in my head was thinking, oh, I bet you he's against gay people. And then I was like, oh my gosh, I'm doing the exact same thing that I think they do about me. Or you know what I mean? Like I was making a snap judgment thinking getting, that getting he was through, doing that to me. Like through visceral stuff is really difficult, I think. Yes. But um, acknowledging and, it and being like, yeah. well, maybe he's not. That's a huge step that it took me a long time to start doing once we started this podcast and it's an ongoing thing that I'm dealing with and I think mm. you are too Sarah and probably you too David mm. sure yeah. well I think it's yeah. a lifelong mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm afraid but yeah I guess it's a common place but time is a healer it, it isn't not if you just take time you need to put some work into it but things do get better over time I think if you are willing to address the the stuff it does make a difference because you get another perspective as well and I think I keep throwing Bible verses around here. I feel terrible, but oh, that's okay. <laughs> uh, we do it all the time. It's cool. There's a, yeah, there's a verse in Ezekiel that talks about Jerusalem being a city without walls, and I love that idea that the that the kingdom of God is not about walls. So that means going going outside and having an op- openness and so forth. And I often think that when Jesus sent out the 70, 72, I think it's them when he sends them out. 
that it was basically, it wasn't, well, I think this is heretical, but not so much to evangelize. Otherwise, his disciples would have gone into a holy huddle and not done anything, whereas he was chucking them out to kind of meet some other people with different lifestyles and views and stuff like that. So it was as much about educating them as to about what the rest of the world was about as about showing the kingdom of God. So, yeah. Paul I, I even think... acknowledges, like, when he, I think it's Paul where he talks about there was one group that they were evangelizing to and they referenced their scriptures. Do you know what I mean? Right. Okay. That's it. Yeah. The yeah. Athenians. Yeah. He, well, the he Athenians. Yeah. Yeah. He uses, he that, uses as that as a hook, but I think mm. he also recognizes that all humans have the same questions and yeah. th- there's truth in all of our journeys in some way. Well, yeah, I guess this is another whole <laughs> podcast is what another whole podcast would be. What do we understand by evangelism? I think is something which has been quite culturally a certain understanding of what that meant in evangelical circles has kind of gone all over the world from post-war if you like but there are again there are other ways of looking at that have we talked about treasure hunting did you oh yeah i heard yeah did you ever have to do that no no, i I, I never no that's just it's just hogwarts for christians let's face it yeah it's Yeah, I, mean, I did that. It was yeah. No, but no, I mean, no. I'm sorry. That's just cold reading. That's all it is. Okay, but then look for the Catholics. I don't buy that at all. But people do occasionally seem to get healed. So, I think my take is well. Again, Paul says anything sold in the market is good. I mean, not going to encourage people to go treasure hunting. But supposing that somebody did this and somebody did actually get better, not just psychosomatically better for a moment, but it could happen. And I'm not going to trash that but that's there's a big difference between recognizing that something good might happen and making this a systematic mm. thing to do and i just cannot it's not in the bible anywhere yeah it's bonkers uh, let's face it yeah. <laughs> it is bonkers thank you it is yeah that's a great word yeah. we should use yeah. that more do we want to wrap up we could wrap do up you, do you have anything else you guys want to talk about i think we could talk about we could talk for hours i really like your outlook on christianity on on a lot of things very progressive and very interesting so i've actually learned quite a lot already so i love even the view like that you shared like in the pentateuch how how they were reinterpreting because you have oftentimes people saying well no it has to be read Mm -hmm. exactly this way i love that spirit of openness yeah yeah what can i say to wrap up i think um the x-files you know maybe there's hope (laughs) that's a good uh, That's, Sarah that's loves the, the X-Files. <laughs> I love well, that's the, the last line in the whole series, apparently. I've never watched yeah. it, but Maybe there's hope. Yeah. I think hope is a big thing. Hope is a big thing. And I believe there's a reason to hope. And so, so I would encourage you, you two, to keep hoping and uh, keep talking to people. That's where it all stands or falls for me because I talked about the sense of the risen Christ for me. And Paul says, and I completely follow his argument that if Christ is not risen, we have no hope in the world. We have nothing to say and you have nothing to learn from us. So that's, and it all comes down to is there this hope or not mm-hmm. in my book? There are other takes on hope from other places, but that one makes sense to me. But yeah, and I think, well, props for what you're doing. I think it's courageous. And and you were saying that it's not always easy with some of the feedback you get, but, and it's not popular in the sense that I think polarization is the thing in North America, particularly, but I think it's going all over the place. We're seeing walls going up all over the world rather than coming down. We've got a multipolar world now. It looks like a lot more history is going to be happening and it's not going to be very easy. It's going to be history with walls and divisions and boundaries. And like I say, Jerusalem is a city without walls. So I'm all committed to breaking down walls and looking over them and seeing what's on the other side and seeing how we can move on with that. Do you have any questions for us before we wrap up? No, I don't think I have because I don't want to lock you into something. I think that's oh, it. I think okay. you're, yeah, I think you're, you're, I'd be too concerned about doing that. I think that you're, you're, you're definitely on a, again, this sounds cheesy, but I think you're on a journey and it's not over yet. I think that's quite clear. Well, as we said, it kind of goes on forever. But I think there are, I don't want this to sound patronizing either, but I think that there's more for you to discover and got no lessons to teach you in that respect. So it's better to let you get on with it. 
You're right. Before you go, is there any good resources for people that might be experiencing spiritual abuse or are reconstructing their faith oh, that you'd like point. to plug? I'm, I, one of the things that all this changed for me is I barely read anything since this all happened. The best resource I have, it's on the website, is the firm, the movie, the firm. The firm. It's a bit old okay. now, but it's, it's a John Grisham novel. But the movie version, it's got Tom Cruise in it. But states from like 1993 or something. But I yeah. watched that and I just, I was just kicking myself in every scene. I was thinking, what, how was I so dumb? Why did I not see what was happening? I mean, it's got it all. It's got it all right down uh, to, he meets his wife. The firm encourages families, isn't against wives working and encourages families to have children. And I thought, well, I, that reminds uh, you of some stuff. And also he gets in traps, but I won't, I won't spoil the whole story for you, but you know, that you'll, you have to watch it. You have to watch it. Most of my theology and insights from from movies these days movies yeah yeah. but (laughs) but otherwise more seriously i would say it's really difficult to trust people when you've been through something like that but i think to find a trusted third party who is not in your environment obviously but who has got at least an understanding of where you're coming from that they don't think you're suffering from religious mania or is going to try and turn you into an atheist overnight or whatever i i took a couple of sessions with a therapist not very many about three or four i think and there was one or two things she said that were really helpful. And she wasn't, I'm not even sure she was a Christian of any kind, but she was, well, she was smart enough not to look like I was completely mad when I was talking to her. And I found that helpful. That's probably as good a therapy as I'm not trashing books or stuff, but I think you, but the thing is that I think the kind of people who suffer from spiritual abuse, and I'd include myself in that, you, we can be tempted to latch on to, we found it, this is the thing that works. And even if that is a model of dare I say, even the bite model, is that right? I think I think you have to remember it's just a model and people are yeah. more than models. It's more subtle than that. So it's yeah. good. To, it's interesting to go out to talk to people and then let them bounce off their life experience, bounce off you a bit is what I would say. Yeah, I like that. But yeah, Perfect. start with the firm. <laughs> start with the firm and go yeah, yeah. from there. Okay, yeah, yeah, I'm going to yeah. watch this. A couple of others. These are pretty old now, I'm sorry. But yeah, there's, this is quite well known, but Leap of Faith. Yeah, you should, you'd love that if you haven't seen that. Steve Martin stars in that. It's about, it's based on Peter Popoff, who was a total fake healing evangelist. It's a bit uh-huh. off topic for what we're doing. Well, it exposes Peter Popoff totally without naming him, but it has a sting in the tail, which is really interesting. That's one. And another okay. one, which is really nails us, is the Apostle. Yeah, that's more traditional Pentecostal, but he, well, from where I'm sitting, he totally nails the culture. And that's interesting as well. Both the common thread in both those movies is that they're people who you see all the bad side of christianity but you see something else going on as well yeah definitely okay well thank you so much again yeah Um, i was not sure when i reached out to you by email i was like this is last updated like over 10 years ago like yeah yeah, well i just can't i probably can't i don't even know if i can find the way into the website to update it these days so that's probably you know it's it's gonna be out there to the end of time now but but you gotta keep that email Um, yeah yeah okay well Um, thanks thanks very much yeah Yeah, i need to go to bed (laughs) okay (laughs) bye bye Bye.